0: Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music.
1: Our concert and our season opened with a a really arresting new piece by a young American composer named Ted Hearn. Ted's written for the Albany Symphony's new music ensemble, The Dogs of Desire, actually a very successful and wonderful piece that we've played a number of times called Is It Dirty? Uh, It's one of our favorite dogs pieces. And so I I very much wanted to invite him to write for the full orchestra. And because we have a a, a wonderful grant from the uh, Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for a number of composer residencies throughout the year, I invited Ted to become our composer-educator partner this year, which means that in addition to having two new works played by the symphony, this one on the very first concert and one on our very last concert in the season, in the middle of the season, Ted will be in the Capital Region working with a group of high school students on a project that he's designing called Songwriter Idol, in which he's teaching them all about the art of songwriting, and they're going to actually write songs and perform them under his tutelage. He's a a very interesting, fascinating, fabulous young man who's a graduate of the Manhattan School of Music and Composition, and then of the Yale School of Music for graduate school. Uh, And uh, he's very up-to-date in today, and I I really love working with him because he pretty much dismisses all of my ideas, which I find very refreshing. Reminds me of my own children. Um, So, for example, in this piece, this is a, a very brief but very accessible and, and lively piece. It has the unusual name of Erasure Scherzo, erasure as in to erase something. And when I mentioned him, that I, I really didn't think that was a very uh, big box office kind of title, you know, because I don't, can't imagine a lot of people running out to a concert just because they want to hear a piece called Erasure Scherzo. Um, he said, I don't know, I think it's a perfect title for this piece. And in fact, I suppose I have to concede, now having worked on it a great deal and performed it, that he's pretty much right about that because it it does have something to do with erasure, which you'll come to understand as you uh, hear the piece. A scherzo, of course, is uh, usually uh, the third movement of a symphony. It's a a form that was kind of pioneered by Beethoven. You know, before Beethoven, the third movements of symphonies were almost always minuets, sort of a lively, stately, old-fashioned kind of a dance. And uh, Beethoven wanted a much livelier kind of third movement. So he evolved a, a kind of fast, crazy, sort of wild uh, form with lots of dynamic contrast and also with a lot of speed called a scherzo uh, from the Italian word meaning a joke. So Beethoven's scherzos aren't all humorous necessarily, but they do have a sort of wild animal frenzy to them, but they are sort of hyped-up dance forms. And so um, Ted wrote this piece, really much inspired by Beethoven, and you'll hear that the language is very uh, much Beethovenian. It's all original Ted. He, he promises he didn't crib anything from Beethoven or his time, uh, but he really set out to write a Beethovenian scherzo, but then he decided to do something very 21st century with it, because uh, Ted composes at a computer, and as you probably remember, Beethoven didn't compose at a computer. He composed principally by hand, if I recall correctly. Ted has a lot of things he can do to the material that would have been much harder for Beethoven to do since he was writing by hand. Ted can slice and dice and reorder things and take a whole chunk and put it somewhere else. So in a way, that was one of the the main premises of this piece was that he would take this wonderful Beethovenian material and then kind of shuffle it and reorder it. So you'll hear lots of material that sort of gets truncated, gets shortened greatly and gets kind of repeated, but in, in sort of unusual ways. And then there is this issue of erasure, which we find in the title. I I don't want to say more about it because I don't want to spoil the listening pleasure of it, but I will just um, assure you that when there are silences in the piece, they are very uh, much worked out silences. And in the live concert, I was, um, I was required to conduct every single bar, whether there was sound or silence in the bar. Uh, I guess Ted said that when there are silences, it's as if he's just sort of erased that part of the material. So here now, the world premiere of a brand new piece by Ted Hearn, which opened the Albany Symphony season. It's called Erasure Scherzo.
0: This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHTFM, your classical companion. And WMHT.org.
1: That was the world premiere of Ted Hearn's Erasure Skirt, so the opening piece on the Albany Symphony's opening concert of the season. The orchestra, of course, the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. When I discussed with Ted Hearn uh, what exactly his piece should be like, I referenced to him that, that the concert was a somewhat unusual one for the Albany Symphony because it was already made up of two monumental Russian masterpieces, two works whose composers shared a, a lot of world view. They came from somewhat different eras, Tchaikovsky being born in 1840, his Fifth Symphony is of course the final piece on the program, and Sergei Rachmaninoff, born 33 years later, I guess, in 1873, but uh, a great fan of Tchaikovsky's music and someone who, as a young man, knew Tchaikovsky and who really felt kind of mentored by Tchaikovsky. So these two big monumental works. And I had told Ted that I wanted some big, fabulous overture to start off the concert, and he actually argued like a good uh, spiritual child, that no, in fact, he thought that was exactly the wrong approach to take to try to compete with Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky and that he'd much rather write a much lighter and different kind of piece to sort of set off against those two masterpieces. And once again, Ted was absolutely right in his judgment. So after that clean-limbed, classical-style piece of, of Ted Hearn's, we come to the second work on our program, Sergei Rachmaninoff's monumental Piano Concerto Number 2 in C minor, Opus 18. This, of course, a fairly early work of Rachmaninoff's when he was still in his 20s, but it's a work that came from a a very painful and difficult place. When Rachmaninoff was a very young man, he was already being proclaimed as the heir to Tchaikovsky, the greatest of all Russian composers. And that was a, a, a very heavy mantle to wear and Rachmaninoff had a great deal of success, particularly with his solo piano pieces. As a young composer, he was an amazing pianist all through his career and a performing pianist. But uh, I guess a few years before, a number of years actually before this um, this concerto was composed, Rachmaninoff debuted his first symphony, which is one of the great debacles in music history. The conductor, by all reports, was extremely drunk. The orchestra was completely under and ill rehearsed, uh, and the piece went off in a disastrous fashion. Uh, the Russian critics, who had all been hearing that Rachmaninoff was the heir to Tchaikovsky, wasted no time in just completely destroying the work and the composer. And Rachmaninoff, being a very sensitive and melancholy soul, sank into a deep depression from which he didn't really emerge for a good number of years. In fact, he, uh, by all reports, lay on his his sofa for the first two years, and then eventually started writing small pieces, but really seriously considered giving up composing while still a very young man. Fortunately, uh, some family members recommended a a doctor to him who was doing very early work in hypnotherapy, in essence, a doctor called Nikolas Dahl. And uh, Rachmaninoff went to Dr. Dahl, uh, who was himself a a very avid amateur violist and music lover. And Dr. Dahl did some easygoing hypnotherapy with uh, Rachmaninoff, and I think a good bit of psychology or psychiatry as well. And uh, I I think that what he ended up doing, from from what I've read, uh, he ended up having Rachmaninoff, under the influence of, of hypnotism, say things like, I will write a new concerto and it will be good. And in fact, uh, that's exactly what happened. Rachmaninoff wrote the new concerto. He wrote it really for himself. And it was a huge sensation and really not only reestablished or established Rachmaninoff's um, name and reputation in the world of Russia, but really on the world stage. And it's, it's held the, the spotlight ever since. It's one of the most loved of all Romantic concertos, having been written actually at the end of the Romantic period, around 1900, it's a beautiful, luminous, powerful Russian Russian work. You know, I, I used to have trouble with Rachmaninoff when I was a much younger person because coming from Los Angeles myself, it always sounded like Hollywood to me. And what I realized later, after studying with some Russian uh, conductors, especially uh, Kurt Zonderling, the great East German conductor, who, who was a, a big uh, champion of Rachmaninoff's music, was that it's not that Rachmaninoff sounds like Hollywood. It's, of course, that Hollywood sounds like Rachmaninoff. And Rachmaninoff really sounds Russian. He sounds deeply, profoundly Russian from the very first opening song that the orchestra sings, full voiced uh, in this great concerto. And so there is this deep, melancholic Russian sensibility in this work, as in all of Rachmaninoff's works, that, that really does link him very much to the grand Russian tradition, and particularly to his hero, Tchaikovsky. It works in three movements, moderato, first movement, and adagio sostenuto, slow, second movement with the famous, famous clarinet uh, solo that's so beautifully played by our principal clarinetist Susan Martula, and finally an allegro scherzando. There's that word scherzo again, a, a lively and, and joyful scherzo. Our soloist is a, a very uh, exciting and interesting and unusual young lady. She's a Ukrainian pianist named Valentina Lizitsa, and uh, she came to this country at the age of 17. I, I think she's probably now in her early 30s, and she has... made an unbelievable career utilizing the internet in a way that I think no other classical artist has. Uh, She has more than 200 of her own sanctioned videos of her performing different masterpieces with a heavy emphasis on Rachmaninoff and the romantics on her YouTube channel. But there are also literally thousands of pirated videos that her fans have put up that she's delighted to have up on, on YouTube. And she has had more than 47 or 48 million views of her videos. And so now, of course, what's happening is that orchestras around the world are inviting her to play because she has such an incredible international Following, and she's really built a career as a as an internet pioneer in a way, at least in in terms of in terms of classical music, in that uh, she's built her her following, her audience, uh, in, in an incredibly unconventional way, and now that is in fact driving her live performances. So we were very honored and delighted to have her come play with us, and she very graciously agreed to play with the Albany Symphony, absolutely gratis. She donated her fee, which was very generous, and she's a very expressive, very wonderful pianist in the grand tradition who studied with Rachmaninoff, Rah- Rachmaninoff who's long dead, but the wonderful thing about the internet is you can hear and even see Rachmaninoff and all the great figures of the early 20th century perform, and so she jokingly said to me, well, my my, my real teachers are Rachmaninoff and Josef Hoffmann and Rubinstein and Horowitz, uh, all dead pianists, but all of whom we can experience and enjoy on the Internet. So I encourage you all to go check Valentina out on the Internet. But for now, here she is live with the Albany Symphony playing Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number no. 2. It's conducted by me, David Allen Miller.
0: This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music.
1: The final work on our opening concert of the season was an epic symphony, one of my absolute favorites, one of the greatest of all romantic symphonies. It's Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 5 in E minor. You know, they often joke about Tchaikovsky having written three symphonies, numbers four, five, and six. In fact, there are three charming early symphonies, the first, second, and third, that are seldom heard. Uh, But it is true that these three symphonies just dominate the floorboards of symphony concerts everywhere. And that's because they are so... Not only uh, dramatic and romantic, but they are so personal, and one has the sense when one hears any of these last three symphonies of Tchaikovsky, that uh, one's looking right into the soul of the composer, that he's sharing his innermost thoughts and feelings. This work, the Fifth Symphony, was written a full 10 years after the Fourth Symphony. The Fourth Symphony, as you probably remember, was written during a period of intense crisis, personal crisis in Tchaikovsky's life. He had decided to marry and had selected a young woman to marry. This, of course, was a bit of a problem since he knew that he was a a gay man. He was a homosexual. And yet he felt that somehow if he married, he could... Become go beyond that, or I don't know what exactly he thought, but not surprisingly, um, the marriage ended in a complete disaster and lasted a bare t- barely two weeks and uh, ended with Tchaikovsky attempting suicide and uh, basically annulling uh, the marriage. And out of this terrible crisis in Tchaikovsky's life, having to confront the issues that all of this brought up, um, the Fourth Symphony was born. And the Fourth Symphony is this very deep personal. Hyper dramatic work, a very powerful work. Interestingly, now the Fifth Symphony, 10 years later, is is the work of a much older man. If you've ever seen pictures of Tchaikovsky, he aged incredibly early and uh, lived only to be 53 years old. But if you see pictures of Tchaikovsky from his 40s, he, he looks like what a uh, an 80-year-old man today would look like. He was a very handsome man, but he he, he got very white early in his life, and he, he looks very melancholy and very old and very sad, even at this time, the time of the Fifth Symphony. Um, so the Fifth Symphony came at a, an interesting time also in Tchaikovsky's life. Uh, in spite of the personal crises of 10 years earlier, he was having wonderful artistic triumphs in in these ten years and the Fifth Symphony was composed just after a, a very extended trip that Tchaikovsky took through Western Europe and it was really a triumphant journey for him he met all of the most important composers of the day and was feted by them and and celebrated throughout Western Europe he met uh, Edvard Grieg he met Brahms he met Antonin Dvorak he met Charles Gounod, he met everybody everybody who was anybody wanted to meet Tchaikovsky and hear his music he performed conducted all over uh, in various cities around Western Europe uh, and had become quite an accomplished conductor you know early in his career he was he was a very neurotic person and early in his career Um, when he first began trying to conduct his own music, it is said that he actually would keep one hand on his head because he had this kind of irrational fear that his head would fall off while he was conducting. Fortunately, he he got beyond that and later in life became a very accomplished conductor and was much in demand around the world. He even came to America for the opening of Carnegie Hall and conducted concerts featuring his own works. On this epic tour, though, uh, he stopped in Germany and conducted the Hamburg Symphony to great acclaim and with great success. And while in Hamburg, um, he met a, a gentleman named Theodor uh, who, who to whom later he would dedicate this piece. And Mr. Lallemant was a, a great figure in Hamburg's musical life and a, had been a music teacher and a very ed- erudite educated man. He was the president of the Symphony Society. And Mr. Lallemant took Tchaikovsky aside and said, you know, really, Mr. Tchaikovsky, you are so gifted, and yet your music is just barbaric. You really need to come live and work in Germany. If you just got rid of all the the percussion in your in your music and wrote more serious music sort of in in the uh, the tradition of Beethoven, of the great German composers, you would be in the pantheon of the greatest composers. Now, Tchaikovsky, being a very uh, good-natured fellow, didn't take offense at Mr. Lalamont's comments. Uh, in fact, he kind of took them to heart and, and wrote in his letters uh, about them and having been charmed by this gentleman. And, and interestingly, when he went back to Russia, he began uh, work on this Fifth Symphony and took Mr. Lalamont's advice. This is a symphony that has no extraneous percussion. It just has the one timpani and is written in a very Beethovenian way of course, being the Fifth Symphony, it has great echoes of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony in that it starts in deep, dark minor, just like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and ends with a triumphant uh, finale many, many minutes later. And it is, uh, in a certain way, similar to the Fourth Symphony. It deals with fate. And in this case, fate is in the tune of the clarinets at the very opening. And yet, Tchaikovsky now being an older, wiser more world-weary gentlemen, there is a sense of resolve and of acceptance in this piece that one doesn't find in the Fourth Symphony. It's, it's in a way, a much more wistful and mature piece, I think, than the Fourth Symphony. Equally beautiful, uh, and with some of the greatest music uh, Tchaikovsky ever penned, including the slow movement, the Andante Cantabile, the beautiful slow movement. It's actually an interesting title for that movement, Andante Cantabile Con Alcuna Licenza, rather a songful slow movement, Andante walking tempo, uh, with some license. The second movement has that famous, famous horn solo that, that begins it. Uh, our principal horn player, Bill Hughes, plays it wonderfully. And what's interesting about that movement is that Tchaikovsky writes all sorts of accelerandos, accelerandos speeding up and retardandos slowing down. So he asks for a great deal of license. Uh, it's interesting that, that asking for some license in the, in the actual title is, is something I hadn't actually noted before. But uh, very, uh, again, a very heartfelt and beautiful slow movement. So the first movement, Andante, starts with a slow clarinet theme and then a, a sort of march, uh, a, a ghostly march that builds to incredible climaxes in the first movement. The second movement, that achingly beautiful horn theme that unfolds over the the course of the movement, but with uh, at at two points the ideas of the first movement, of of the fate motif crashing in, a beautiful, very um, balletic third movement, a a waltz, a waltz, uh, Allegro Moderato, and the finale, which is again one of the most epic finales in all music, starting with a a triumphant uh, E major uh, statement of the very opening of the symphony, now it's turned into a a march of triumph, and then leading into a, a blistering Allegro Vivace, a fabulously fast uh, allegro movement uh, that brings the piece to a, a blazing triumphant finish. So here now, one of my absolute favorite works, Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 5 in E minor. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony conducted by me, David Allen Miller.
0: Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.